Hi, I'm Jake Parker with the What's Your Story podcast. Here I talk with my guests about their life experiences, as well as current and long-term goals, and what gets them through the ups and downs. If you enjoy the show, please rate and subscribe. And don't forget to visit my website, jparkerfitlife.com, for access to my Instagram account, blog, and more. Hi guys, welcome back to the What's Your Story podcast. This is Jake Parker. My guest today is Shane Hubbard. He was on one of the very first episodes I did, I want to say maybe two or three. Uh, so he's back on today, excited to chat with him again. Uh, the subject I wanted to talk about mostly today was one of Shane's key points on that I see on his Instagram page is sort of demystifying and simplifying fat loss. And so we wanted to cover a wide range of what exactly that means and how he helps people with that. So I'll let Shane go ahead and say hi. Going on, guys. Thanks for having me, Jake. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah, for sure. So to start out, what are some of the biggest faux pas you see or what are some of the biggest barriers that clients of yours have to overcome or people that you interact with on your Instagram page and stuff like that as far as sustainably losing fat and being able to do it effectively? Yeah, great question. I think, I think the, you know, honestly, the, the hardest part for people to realize is it's going to take some work mm -hmm. actually to actually lose fat. I think that there's uh, maybe some kind of perception out there that it's like, okay, I just need to eat less calories. And in the grand scheme of things that really does, it really does boil down to that. But how you do that is very important because it's not just a, you know, eat less exercise more. We've been trying to do that for 30 years and <laughs> hasn't really worked out. So it takes a little bit more, like, I guess the biggest surprise I get my clients get right away and um, is me telling them straight up, like, look, you're going to have to track what you eat to some extent. I'm not asking you to like, measure every grain of rice, but like you're going to have to keep track of what you eat because you don't fully understand all the different types of foods. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's a big barrier for a lot of people. And so what I've done over the, you know, years, I guess, putting it simply, I've just basically told everyone up front, look, there's going to be some, it's not going to be calorie counting necessarily, but you're mm -hmm. going to track what you eat. I'm going to help guide what kind of foods are best for you. And yeah, you're not going to get to have, you know, that donut you had at work, you know, every other day, you're going to mm -hmm. have to restrict that to certain times. And so a lot of it's mindset, a lot of it's psychology. To be yeah, honest. for sure. Yeah, I think though, a really interesting thing that you said there that I've been very uh, keen on lately is just the fact that yes, you have to track. No, you don't necessarily have to count calories because tracking for one person might be, I eat this, this, and this meal on these days or something like that, you know, just eating similar foods knowing that, you know, different foods can be substituted such as maybe I have oatmeal one morning and I have the equivalent in toast another morning, or I have pork and that's pretty similar to the chicken breast I eat and stuff like that. You just have to really have an awareness. And it goes back to some people might just be best off calorie counting at first. I know that's what helped me a lot just be, uh, along the aspect of it helps you realize what the nutritional value of different foods are if you're not really sure on that at first. But tracking, Absolutely. I think, could be a lot of different ways. Yeah, and, and, and there's different ways at different levels. Uh, like if I have someone who's never done it before, I literally just have them track. I don't care what they eat, how mm -hmm. much they eat, what what's comprised of. I want to get them in the habit of just getting used to looking at what they're eating. And then that's when the real education kind of comes in. And, and I do things to tweak things here and there, but 
you know, then you've got the other people who are like, just give me a meal plan and I'll just follow mm-hmm. it. And I'm like, well, that's not, you're not going to learn anything that way. And mm-hmm. I'm sure there's, there's definitely ways to get results that way. I'm not knocking it, but my coaching practice is mine because I want to teach people what I want to teach them, and which mm-hmm. is sustainable fat loss over the, you know, the course of someone's life. So, you know, it's, it's for a lot of people, the, the, the ground roots of just getting used to being aware of what they're eating is honestly the first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned um, just one of your first key points was that we've been trying to, you know, sustainably exercise and uh, eat a proportionate amount and a healthy amount of food for a number of years for 20, 30, 40 years is probably the first time that in my estimation that diets and exercising really became more popular. So what are your views on just in that respect, the ways that society looks at diet and exercise and just the fact that I think anyone would agree that obesity and uh, just being overweight has really become so much more prevalent in the recent years. So what are your views on that? Yeah. So I I think there's a large gap between the the people that get results and keep them off and the people that get results and then eventually lose them. Mm. I, I think there's a big disconnect between what actually goes on and what the difference between those two things are. And, um, you know, the people that have been able to sustain their, their fat loss come in multiple different ways. I mean, there's there, I've worked with a, a woman who wanted to do uh, kind of a low carb thing for a really long time and that got her to lose the weight, but then she mm-hmm. just couldn't sustain it. She gained a little bit of weight and then she started working with me and I basically showed her, I said, look, these, this is the ground roots principles. If you can follow this, you can be very flexible with your nutrition, mm-hmm. you know, and that was, that was harder at first for her because it required her to do a little bit more work up front. But what it gave her was the freedom to not only have more flexibility, but to also, uh, you know, realize that it shouldn't have to be low carb in order to mm-hmm. keep the weight off. So I think there's a, 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 unfortunately there's a, and I'm trying to shorten the gap, but I think there is a disconnect between, just losing weight and then losing weight and keeping it off. And part of that is, yeah, part of that is our responsibility as, as trainers and professionals to explain, Hey, look, you know, losing weight is, is actually fairly easy. I mean, I, Mm -hmm. I I don't think I've talked to one person who's like, I have trouble losing weight. It's all about, I don't know how to maintain any of it Mm -hmm. because everything I did to lose the weight wasn't something I could do the rest of my life. And I said, well, that's kind of the point. So you know, I, as far as diets go, they, sometimes they bring people into the sphere of, of sustainable fat loss. And sometimes they wreck people. I mean, I've seen mm-hmm. it happen both ways. I'd say predominantly it's mostly confusing people more. So mm-hmm. what I try to do is teach them that if you establish some very ground roots principles, things like understanding your calorie maintenance, then finding your calorie deficit, and then mm-hmm. playing with the numbers within that, you have a lot of flexibility, but are you willing to do the work of trying to, to make that happen? And when people hire me as a coach, that's usually what they're doing is they're trying to bridge the gap between what needs to be done and, and having to do it. Yeah. I think that's so important. What you say there just about the fact that, I mean, I like to look at diet in the sense that diet is everything you eat and you know, everyone's on a diet. It's not, I don't, I don't like to use the phrase just like we're going to go on a diet because that looks at it more along the short-term view and something that ends. And so I think that's the, one of the biggest factors that keeps people from, like you say, sustaining that fat loss. And, you know, like you say, it is relatively easy at first, uh, especially if you are going to follow a certain type of diet. But I think that the important thing is just to realize that it's really more important to 
figure out a lifestyle for yourself that you can maintain as opposed to finding a diet that might help you lose X amount of weight in X amount of time or whatever. Right. And, and the word diet, if you look it up in the dictionary, essentially just means the composition of the food that you eat. I mean, mm-hmm. we've kind of distorted the word, unfortunately. So I, I like to try to find different ways to say it, but mean the same thing. And, mm-hmm. and absolutely, you know, unfortunately, most diets uh, basically have the exact same thing built into them, some kind of calorie deficit, which is why I try to teach people if you just use the calorie deficit and then go about, you know, the macros and all that stuff any way you want, mm-hmm. then you have much more freedom. And, you know, I, to be completely transparent, I've had clients that have, you know, higher carb intakes and they're, they do fine losing weight and they're able to sustain their appetite. And I have people that like, you know, they eat a bowl of rice and they want to eat the entire, you know, plate of whatever else was there. And they start mm-hmm. to eat much. So, so some of it too is understanding that like, like I had a, a woman who was doing low carbon, she came up and she goes, I don't see any other way of eating. Like this mm-hmm. is, this works perfectly for me. So I said, that's great. You know, so the diets can help you kind of find a way uh, of eating that, that works best for your appetite. But to, to give the, the, the diet, the credit is, is kind of shooting yourself in the foot because really what you're finding is, what works best for your lifestyle, for your preferences, for your, your, your metabolic, what I call metabolic types. So somebody mm-hmm. who has a preference to, to like, for me, I, I do better on a higher fat, moderate carb, you know, mm-hmm. moderate protein type style. So everyone's a little bit different. So if you use diets to help you figure out what works best for you, more power to you, but to let them take hold of you and like make it a, a long-term thing is not a good idea. Yeah, I agree. And it is so key to just realize that different people are going to be different and, you know, I like I've heard the comparison a lot where, yes, you can have your favorite sweets and treats, but you have to be mindful of there. There's people out there that have just the personality type or just the palate or whatever you want to call it, where they'll eat one. You know, the examples like you eat one Oreo out of the package and you want to eat the whole package. You got to be keen on what your triggers are and what your behaviors and tendencies are. And just being aware that, you know, some diets work best for some people, some diets work best for other people. Like when you talk about low carb, there is people out there that for whatever reason really prefer to eat meats and fats and they can do that okay. But if you're one of those person, those people that has a huge sweet tooth or you like your pasta, uh, rice, whatever, then, you know, obviously a low carb diet isn't going to be for you. And so you have to figure out another way to achieve your goals. Yeah, absolutely. And and the other thing I think is important, and one of the reasons why I'm a big advocate against junk foods is not because I think that junk food is, is anti-fat loss or anything mm-hmm. like that. It's because those foods are engineered to get you to eat more. I mean, what's exactly. the slogan for Pringles? Once you pop, the fun doesn't stop. I mean, mm-hmm. what is more obvious than something like that? So to, you, we have to distinguish in a lot of ways, or the, what I do is I distinguish junk food or processed food from regular food and, and the, the way it affects, affects our brain. So I, I'm not a phobe against that. I think it's if you want to have your Doritos, fine, but you got to understand the consequences of that food. I mean, it's mm-hmm. literally telling your brain to eat more. So if you can control that and bring that awareness into your situation, then I think that as long as somebody's goal is to suppress their appetite in a healthy and a sustainable, natural way Mm -hmm. with food, then whatever method you use to do that, so long as you're in some level of a caloric deficit, you're going to see fat loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Doritos because it makes me think of, uh, I remember one time on Mike Matthews podcast, he talked about the fact that there's, you know, there's people whose job it is to literally make food like that more addicting and more palatable and, you know, more attracting, even if, you know, even if it's go so far as like marketing too, you know, they, they try to target your, 
uh, unconscious, subconscious brain to make you want these foods. And there's just a lot of psychology behind it, really. And so it's, I'm like you, I've, I've kind of come around to thinking, you know, it's probably not a great idea to include junk food in your diet regularly, just because of those aspects of just knowing how addictive they, they are made to be. Absolutely. I mean, and, and I think I actually listened to that podcast as well. Um, and he absolutely he nailed it on the head. And what's crazy too, is that some people think, well, you know, I'm consciously aware that I'm eating Doritos. I'll be able to stop myself. Mm-hmm. And what I don't think they understand is, is that the part of the brain that's being activated to eat more is, is found in the smallest and the most ancient type of animal with, with mm-hmm. a spinal cord. It's not this like human brain that we're able to logically uh, reason with it's it's yeah. your deep like survival brain and so if you think you're going to overcome your cravings yeah you might last you know a, a, if it's a marathon you might last the first two miles but you're definitely not going to last the entire race mm-hmm. what are some other of the relevant psychological factors you like to talk about with people or that you take into account in your own diet uh, I think probably the most important thing for people to realize is expectations of fat loss and then mm-hmm. understanding, you know, like you hear some of the, the experts in fat loss talking about two pounds a week. And mm-hmm. I like to tell people, look, if you're losing and it's pure body fat, I don't care what rate it is. Uh, mm-hmm. I even would prefer that it's relatively slow. So I actually don't give my clients fat loss expectations. Um, what I do is I just track them weekly. And I say, if you're at least losing something every week, um, even if it's like 0.2 pounds or something of mm-hmm. fat, then I'm, then what we're doing is working. There's been some instances where somebody's like in a 200 calorie deficit and it's really not pushing the needle very much. So we'll mm-hmm. bump it up to three and they go from losing, you know, half a pound to losing, you know, three quarters of a pound. So mm-hmm. stuff like that. Um, I, I, expectations, I think distort psychology too much. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, being okay with the fact that your weight might not change, but your composition changes. That's another mm-hmm. concept I don't think is widely uh, talked about is that yeah. in like a lot of cases. Getting fixated on the scale, right? Stuff like that. Right, getting fixated on the scale. And I understand, the, I mean, I can empathize with that because we've used the scale for so long to mm-hmm. measure progress. But now we're in a new age of technology. We're in a new age of, of education and understanding. Uh, so what I like to tell my clients is, look, um, your weight might not change all that much. Like my wife is a perfect example. She's been on a consistent uh, trend to lose some body fat and her weight has changed, but her composition has changed even more. So she mm-hmm. looks a lot different. She looks like she's probably lost 60 pounds, but she's really only lost 20, 25 pounds. So mm-hmm. I like to encourage people that, yeah, if you have a lot of weight to lose, you're going to see some scale weight go down. But if you've got you know, 10, 20 pounds to lose, you're actually going to see your composition change, even if your weight doesn't. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's important to track from all different aspects too. Like a lot of times I, for, for myself personally, I think that the two best indicators when I'm trying to make progress are how do I feel and how do I think I look in the mirror? Because, you know, you see yourself every day and so it can kind of get hard in that aspect. And that's where it may be progress pictures and stuff like that can come into play. But I think that you can really be intuitive about it in a lot of ways too. And just say, you know, are these shorts or pants that I'm wearing consistently fitting differently? Do I feel like I look differently in the mirror? And it's hard because that's another psychological battle where you can get too caught up in that. But I, I, I guess the key that I'm trying to harp on is just not trying to get too fixated on a number, making a number your ultimate goal. Right, exactly. And, and honestly, your total body weight is pretty irrelevant in, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, you can I saw this picture of a guy that weighs 180 pounds compared to another guy that weighs 180 pounds and they're totally two different bodies, Mm -hmm. but they both weigh the same. 
So, you know, to fixate on the scale is just kind of a, it's not, it's not wise anymore for anyone to do. And, and like you mentioned, you know, measuring yourself in other ways, how you feel is going to be the easiest way to measure yourself. Mm-hmm. If you're starting to feel better, it's, and you're not taking loads of supplements, it could just be that you're actually doing things right. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. And, and one little quick tip for your audience for measuring, if you're somebody who wants to measure fat and you want a quick little easy way to do it, um, you get a measuring tape, like a, a tape that it's made of you know uh, not rubber but like plastic or whatever mm-hmm. that you can wrap around your stomach mm-hmm. and you just measure your stomach and your neck because in mm-hmm. terms of where where fat's going to be stored from primarily yeah. in excess is going to be in the neck and then in the stomach so men or women can do that if that makes them feel a little bit better about you know measuring versus yeah. just how my pants fit and things yeah like that. that's a good point and even to take the whole feeling aspect of it one step further i like to say too you know even if you're not necessarily getting the physical results in every way that you want. And back to those expectations, it's like, what are you doing it for in the first place to feel better about yourself, to feel healthier? I mean, if you're feeling better, you know, it goes back to like you talked about eating whole foods and just even past that, like the cognitive benefits of working out regularly. I mean, I think that that in a lot of ways is probably more valuable than the the physical attributes that can wax and wane is just feeling good on a consistent basis. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you're not going to do something that doesn't feel good anyway. Mm-hmm. So why, why would you not want what you're doing? Why would you not want the first priority to feel good? You can't sustain weight loss like they do on The Biggest Loser because mm-hmm. they, they were miserable the whole entire time. That's why they're all still overweight, unfortunately. Yeah, and like if you, if you look at guys, you know, in a bodybuilding show or something like that, you know, they're all shredded up in super low body fat, like five, four or five percent, whatever. Like you, you ask them, they just feel terrible at that time because – the body needs a certain amount of body fat just to regulate the processes and different stuff like that. And so it, it gets to a point where, you know, you have to focus on the, the body as a whole, including your mental well-being and all that kind of stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you, yeah, you, you make a good point. It's not all about the physical ramifications. I've seen people that are healthy body fats that are blowing by people that have lower body fats just simply mm-hmm. because you know everyone's everyone's a little bit different at certain body fat levels and you want to optimize the quality of your life at the end of the day yeah and so uh you talked a little bit about nutrition and how you prefer i don't know healthy is such a trigger word but like whole nutritious yeah. foods as opposed to letting people have you know those junk foods that maybe fit the macros or whatever so what are some of your personal uh, nutrition, I guess, principles and the things that you eat? And then how does that translate? And is it any different when you're giving advice to your clients and maybe even dependent on their progression as well? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I've spent a lot of time trying to figure out what works best for me and it's given me a lot of insight. Mm -hmm. Um, what works best for me, honestly, is fasting until noon. I don't see any need to have food before that personally. Mm -hmm. Um, I've experimented with having, you know, a, a first breakfast meal earlier in the morning. I've always optimized better without it. So I've just Mm -hmm. decided, you know, black coffee is totally cool. Lunchtime comes around. It's pretty much uh, like a low carb meal. I I have at least six cups to seven cups of vegetables. So I'm having half a plate of broccoli that's uh, seasoned with salt, pepper, garlic, Mm -hmm. maybe some olive oil baked in the oven, Um, chicken breast, steak, tri-tip, anything that's, you know, kind of red Mm -hmm. meat-ish. Then I have a giant salad along with that with some tomatoes, a little bit more dressing. So it's a pretty high fat, high vegetable, moderate protein 
meal. And then I eat, um, if I'm going to have carbs, I pretty much have all my carbs at night. And mm -hmm. there's a, there's a little bit of a kind of a unique strategy to that. Uh, serotonin and melatonin, two hormones that help you fall asleep mm -hmm. are created from carbohydrates. So if you ever eat like a carbohydrate, carbohydrate, sorry, carbohydrate rich meal, um, and you're sleepy afterwards, that's yeah. part of what's going on. So like I've had only one client so far that's had that big of an experience. And so we moved her carbs tonight and she's been feeling and sleeping a whole lot better. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, it, again, it's, it's the more, you know, about yourself and the more you, the more as a coach, I ask questions, the more individualized the client's program becomes. Yeah. And that's really where the uniqueness of the coaching comes in, to be honest, because I could, yeah, I could give you a meal plan, but I could be shooting myself in the foot. Mm -hmm. If some of these things aren't going to be ideal for you, everyone's got different schedules. Now there's definitely, you know, people that kind of get themselves into categories, but mm -hmm. everyone's a little different, man. Well, it's like you kind of talked about there when you talk about the fact that carbs, you know, they kind of help with your sleep at night. I think a lot of people probably resonate with that, like afternoon lull, if you eat a lot yeah. of carbs at lunch. And it depends. Again, like we've talked about a lot, everyone's different. Everyone has different metabolisms and ways that their body processes food. So maybe you would benefit from having less carbs at lunch, or maybe you can have them balanced throughout the day and it doesn't make a difference to you. And going back to that, you know, how everyone's different. You talked about something I like there, which is fasting until noon, uh, which is, I like to just frame it with the uh, disclaimer that I know that there is some benefits as far as like, you know, overall health. And they talk about cell maintenance and stuff like that with fasting, which may be true. But I think that for the average person, you don't really necessarily need to worry about that. And you should probably just frame it more as just skipping breakfast and not like, Oh, I'm fasting because of all these, you know, scientific sort of benefits, because that's just kind of in the weeds. But I also right. do fasting usually when I'm doing a cutting phase, just because I found that I don't really necessarily need breakfast. Sometimes it's okay. But sometimes I just, you know, I can do without it. But in that same sense, like I talk a lot about nutrition with my parents because they're, they're interested in it because I am and stuff like that. And my, I, I know I talked to my, my mom and she's like, oh, I could just never skip breakfast. Like I have to have it first thing in the morning. I love breakfast. And it's like, that's fine. Like, you know, you can never be pigeonholed into something. I would never say like, oh, you, you have to try fasting. It's, it's the only thing to do. You know, there's, there's just different strokes for different folks, like they say. Yeah, absolutely. And if, and I think what fasting has taught me both personally as a coach is that it helps you become more in tune with when you're actually hungry. Cause mm -hmm. I think some people get in, in, into the trap of just eating breakfast because they've been told all their lives that breakfast is the most important meal of the day mm -hmm. instead of just realizing that any meal during the day is, is important and yeah. how you structure that is, is up to you and your preference. So I, I think that's a good tool for teaching people what true hunger feels like as well. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, eat when you're hungry and know the difference between hunger and boredom, you know, mm -hmm. that's a big thing. And, and so, yeah, but, you know, in terms of the, you know, going back to your original question, I don't know if I fully answered it, but, you know, the whole idea between processed foods and unprocessed foods, mm -hmm. I leave it up to the client. You know, I say, look, if you can prove that you're able to maintain everything that we've built here and you can include these foods, I mm -hmm. want you to have the flexibility to have them because that's their sanity right there. Mm -hmm. But if you prove to yourself that you can't, you know, have control around this, then it's probably better off that you restrict it for a small amount of time. And as much as that's a trigger word for a lot of people, some people actually really appreciate the fact that they're going to be restricted and then they have someone keeping them accountable. So I don't knock restriction if it applies to the better of the client and their mm -hmm. results and they're on board with understanding 
what's happening um, as a long-term plan. Absolutely not. But again, why would you give anyone like you wouldn't give an alcoholic a drink if he couldn't control it. Right. Mm-hmm. So why would you give somebody who can't control themselves around junk food, junk food? I, I think mm-hmm. the, the way we have to frame that is similar to alcoholism because again, it's very, it is very similar. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting comparison. And the other aspect of that uh, along the whole lines of junk food is like, you have to think about the fact that, yeah, maybe say someone doesn't have a problem with restriction, but you know, think about the way you feel after you eat, you know, a couple servings of chips or whatever sort of junk food it is, you know, if it's every once in a while, it's, it's no big deal. But if you're doing that every day, yeah, maybe you can sustain fat loss and do that. But is your stomach, you know, kind of upset for that? Are you feeling a little bit mentally foggy? Those are other things you want to think about as far as diet too. Like for you, I'm sure eating all those vegetables at lunch and getting all that nutrition, you know, all those micronutrients, vitamins and minerals, I'm sure you feel very good physically and mentally after that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and one of the things that I like to foreshadow for people is like, look, if you take away, let's say somebody's addicted to soda, you take away soda for a couple of days, and you, you feel what it's like to not have that, that effect, you become more sensitive to the things that because a lot of people are dull to how they feel when they eat junk food, because they've Mm -hmm. just been doing it for so long. So, you know, in some cases, with the permission of the client, I'll say, look, you're not having any of this particular thing for a week. And I just want you to monitor how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if they feel better, that usually motivates them to restrict on their own. And so I don't, I don't even have to enter, enter, intervene at all on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another interesting thing I thought you said there was when you talk about just how we have these notions about food that we maybe have been taught ever since like our childhood or whatever, like the one you mentioned was breakfast being the most important meal of the day. And another one that comes to mind for me is like, Oh, you're not supposed to have carbs after 6 PM or after dark or whatever. And it's interesting to think back to that whole psychological aspect of things, because I think those, that sort of advice is, has good intentions where like, okay, if you, if your parents told you breakfast is the most important meal of the day, maybe that's because you were eating, you know, fruits and whole grains and stuff like that, eggs for breakfast, typically healthy foods. And if someone tells you not to eat carbs, you know, late night or whatever, well, okay, that's going to help you on a day-to-day basis, not eat as much carbs, not eat as much calories. But when you break that advice down, you can realize that you can really manipulate the, the factors behind them to make them work for you, however, however they do. And so we can't have these hard and fast rules or we can, but you have to understand the psychology behind them and why they work. Yeah, exactly. And, and the rules in which those, or I should say the environment in which the rules were created is no longer the environment we live in. That's true. Yeah, that's true too. You know what I mean? Like breakfast might've been the most important meal of the day back when breakfast might've been the only meal of the day. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas today you can't go down, you can't walk down the street without having some access to food. So I think we all have to evolve. And I mean, obviously as coaches and as people in this industry, we're, you know, doing our part, but I think we have to help people understand that we're evolving in terms of the psychology that goes into things. And science is definitely helping with that, but we're also just not seeing any progress. And if you're, if you're doing the same things and expecting different results, you're obviously going to just end up in a, on a hamster wheel. So we got to make some changes and do the things that actually work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think another thing that really speaks to, a lot of the misconceptions and uh, ways that food plays a role in our daily lives is just if you look at other countries, you know, where food is less of a social factor and less so just seen like everywhere you look, the people are in better shape. 
And so it's not like they have this knowledge about food or anything like that, that Americans don't have. It's the fact that you have to understand your environment too and realize that if you eat like the typical American, if you eat like everyone else and just do so at your will, you're really going to have a hard time ever sustaining a sort of a healthy body and lifestyle. Absolutely. I actually went to Europe last year and it was a real eye-opening experience and it was a less populated part of Europe. It was in the, mm -hmm. like in, uh, in Kosovo. And um, I have to tell you, not having access to McDonald's makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. um, when, when they eat food over there, it's at meal times. There's no snacking uh, and social events aren't always around food, but they're, but they are, but food is a big part of social events. So when, when I was able to experience that and see what we do in America, we very much have to have a lot more self-control over here because there is nothing that's in place to help us uh, avoid things like fast food. We have to kind of work on our, our willpower and our skills uh, in our education. We actually have to make it almost like a second job in a sense, mm -hmm. um, which unfortunately is the state of what's going on in America. But yeah, it's just the nature of things, really. It's just the nature of things. The, the good thing is, is there's plenty of people out there that have proven that it works, that you can do it. You know, people that are like, I'm, I was too lazy a month ago and now I'm, you know, on it. So, you know, it's all possible. It's just where are your priorities? What do you actually want out of it? Mm -hmm. And then how are you going to sustain that? Yeah. I know that reminds me of one really interesting thing I've heard before. Uh, one of the guys who has a lot of knowledgeable and actionable advice on fat loss is Lane Norton. And mm -hmm. I've heard him say before that living in America, especially, you really have to have some sort of cognitive restraint on food if you want to sustainably have a healthy body and that doesn't you know that could mean anywhere from i portion out my food i track calories even if it's like tracking calories subconsciously i'm low carb i do this or that i fast it's like you have to have some sort of restraint because like i like i mentioned earlier just eating to your own will whenever is just not going to be something that can sustainably let you live a healthy lifestyle and have a healthy body yeah, absolutely. And and the closest thing we do still have to that to an extent is is whole foods, which is mm -hmm. one of the reasons why I try to promote. Look, like I've, I worked with a, a guy one time and he had a really hard time with restriction. And I said, listen, eat all the whole foods you want. Anything yeah. on this list, eat as much of it as you want. And he ended up dropping, I think it was like 10 pounds in two weeks or something like that. And he was like, how am I eating more and losing weight? I'm like, well, mm -hmm. you're technically eating more food like volume wise, but mm -hmm. in terms of calories, you're really not because you were devouring a pizza, you know, once every week. Mm -hmm. And that was maybe 3000 calories by itself. You'd have be hard pressed to get that many calories in a whole food meal. So mm -hmm. sometimes that's where I have people start and it doesn't last very long. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. You can definitely overeat rice and beans and things yeah. like that. But, um, but for a lot of yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you're incorporating good amounts of fiber and protein, it's, listen, I don't see anyone binging on beef jerky and you mm. know, carrot sticks, right? They're binging on, you know, crackers, cookies, cakes, things like that. So, you know, that's another reason why if I'm trying to simplify nutrition for everyone, especially when it comes to fat loss, if you try to stick to the foods that swim in the ocean, walk on the ground, grow mm. out of the, out of the ground, things like that, you're going to have a much easier time, not only sustaining uh, fat loss, but you're going to feel better at the same time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like try to eat a thousand calories of chicken breasts and vegetables. I would, I'd venture to say that you probably couldn't even do it because you'd be so full. Yeah. And you wouldn't enjoy it because mm -hmm. there's not, there's not that same brain pleasure that junk mm -hmm. food has that's, you know, they purposely put in there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like I was talking to uh, my friend, Mitch Harb, and he, he talks a lot about, we were kind of discussing how 
it's it's hard initially to switch over to a healthier all-around diet just because you may be used to all the very palatable and pleasurable foods that we have so much access to but he says that he frames it where I'm not going to think about how tasty this food is going to be in the moment necessarily, but I'm going to think more so about how it's going to make me feel throughout the day and, you know, on my, in my day-to-day life, framing it yeah, in that absolutely. way. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's a great way of, of kind of mentally setting yourself up for an expectation or at least for a, you know, for something more than just what the pleasure is. And, and that actually brings up a, a really good point is, you know, for some, in some cases, when I've worked with people, I've, I've included a little bit of what they're having. I've just said, had, have less of it because for some, if you go completely cold, cold Turkey, it really kind of throws them off. So like, for example, I'll let one of my clients have a couple of Doritos. And my, in fact, my wife's like this. She's like, I didn't eat the whole bag of chips. I ate half of it. I said, that's mm-hmm. awesome. And it, it keeps her going. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It keeps her going. And, and so that's what's so unique and so fascinating to me about nutrition is it's like so many people because it really, your nutrition is tied into a lot of your psychology. So mm-hmm. figuring both of those out makes a huge difference with that. Lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So winding down here, uh, I wanted to talk about another topic that I've seen you discuss quite a bit on your Instagram page and that's cardio. So talk a little bit about when and how you implement cardio into a fat loss phase and you know, just the different types and stuff like that. Sure. So I, I like to think of cardio as a little bit of a buffer for, for carb or not for carbohydrates, for calories. So like, for mm-hmm. instance, at the end of the day, we're always trying to create a caloric deficit of some kind. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's much easier to eat more than, than to eat or to exercise more. So what I like to try to do is when it comes to cardio, it's secondary to weight training. And it's also something you would do in between weightlifting days. So like, for instance, if someone's going to do cardio, what I have them do is usually no more than, you know, 15 to 20 minutes. I try to keep it on the, the high intensity interval training style mm-hmm. that works best for their joints. And so that I'm not putting them in any you know, uh, danger of injury or anything kind of like that, or very low intensity, things like walking on an incline or doing a light elliptical. Uh, I never like to tell anyone not to do cardio, but I like to also encourage people that they can lose body fat without cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, you can, you can get a good strength training program. You can get a good nutrition program. And if you're dialed into both of those, you will lose body fat. Um, but if you enjoy cardio and it helps give you maybe a cognitive boost, or maybe just makes you feel better, then I, I'm not going to restrict it. Um, but I do think there needs to be parameters because most people's perception of cardio is just unfortunately too far off it's like yeah. hours on end of cardio and yeah um, that's exactly what i was so, going to say about it is just yeah. it's just like it, it can be useful but when you look at the view of like maybe stereotypically the person that is like not really informed about health and fitness and they want to get in better shape they might you know think they should run a steady state you know jogging for an hour a day which at the end of the day is better than doing nothing but there's a lot more optimal ways to go about fat loss than doing something like that. Right. And I, and I sometimes will use an analogy uh, with money. I say, look, it, would you, if you wanted to earn more money without having to do more work, wouldn't you rather invest that money than just spend it, you know, mm-hmm. like spend it here and there. And when weight training is a lot like an investment on, you know, on money, it's like every time you do a weight training session, you're investing in muscle it's eventually going to make your metabolism so strong mm-hmm. that you'll be burning more calories on average, which means you'll have an easier time losing body fat if all things else things are equal. Whereas cardio is kind of like a, 
a short-term investment. It's something mm-hmm. you can use in the short term, but it's really not building anything in the progress uh, in terms of fat loss. If you're running mm-hmm. a marathon and you're trying to improve your endurance and performance, cardio has got a totally different perspective. But when it comes to fat loss, what you're trying to do is invest as much of your time and your hard work into muscle so that when you come out of the phase that you're building more muscle, you have a, a more optimized um, body. Plus, I've found that, you know, honestly, when it comes to cardio, people tend to overdo it naturally. I think it's like almost, I don't know why, like I'll, I'll finish working out a group class and somebody will go run for 20 minutes. I'm just like, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's the obsession over calories, yeah. um, you know, and we can get into that if you want, but uh, I just figured I'd answer that question. Yeah, no, I think that what's interesting to me is I think a mistake I used to make was, well, and this I think ties back into the cognitive part of, of cardio is it's hard. And I think a lot of people only associate how hard is this exercise versus what it's doing for me. And they're really not linear, linearly related like that. You know, a good, a good weight training session where you progress and you get better and it's effective is not necessarily going to be like extremely hard and excruciating. But whereas like running four or five miles is probably going to be pretty hard for the typical person but they really affect the body in different ways. And like I said, it's not a linear, um, they, they don't necessarily, they're not parallel. Right. No, they're not. And, and I would even argue that if it's, if something is so challenging that you're not able to repeat it again, then it's too challenging. For mm-hmm. you. I think some of it is ego. I think sometimes it's like, well, I should be able to do that. It's like, I don't care what you should be able to do. I care what you can do because nothing is sustainable if you can't do it, you know? So that's another frame of mind. I, I think that, and I remember getting stuck in this as well, you know, that people get stuck into is like, I can't think of what it's going to be like in six months. I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, trust me, what you're doing right now and what you're telling me right now is not going to be sustainable in six months. So let me do my job and make it a little bit easier for you so that you can continue to do this the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. All right. We're winding down here. Do you have any final thoughts, maybe any final tips, things you uh, thought of throughout the podcast or anything like that? Uh, Just one thing I'd like to reemphasize is not only, patience with fat loss, but don't set these huge expectations. Right. I think it's good to have goals. Don't get me wrong. I think it's good to have goals, but you have to be reasonable about them. And the reason why I say this is that I had two potential uh, clients come up to me uh, and just, I just said, Hey, look, explain to me your situation. And at the end of the day, they would have been paying for training simply because they were being impatient. Mm-hmm. And I would have found out and just said, you know what? You, you, you don't need to hire me. You just need to be patient. But mm-hmm. the fact that I was able to talk to him, a lot of people are thinking it needs to be faster. Yeah. And I get that it sucks that it's slow, but you have to think of it again, like an investment. If you could invest a dollar every single day and in 10 years you had $10,000, wouldn't you do it? Most people mm-hmm. would say, yes, you have to frame it in a similar way when it comes to fat loss, small incremental improvements every single day, make a huge difference. Yeah, for sure. It goes back to a lot of things especially I think when you just look at and talk about today's society, people want the results immediately and people want to prioritize short-term gratification over long-term gratification where long-term gratification, you you know, you really have to invest in the process and know that, you know, you're getting better every day, but it's never going to be the snap of a finger. It's never going to be immediate. Mm, Exactly. No, hundred percent. All right. Well, we'll close on that note. Thanks again, Shane, for coming on. Uh, Go ahead and, once you mention where people can find you. Sure. Yeah. So if you, it's real simple. If you want to reach out to me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, it's just at Shane Hubbard fit. It's 
So just my name and then the word fit at the end. YouTube channel, you can search basically just Shane Hubbard fit and you can find me there. Um, I've started putting out more videos every Wednesday. I have this commitment I'm making myself to every Wednesday new so video. So if you guys want to check out the YouTube channel, you definitely can. And then obviously I'm most active on Instagram, which is where, you know, me and Jake pretty much interact mostly. Mm -hmm. So if you guys want to reach out over there, feel free. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in again. And thanks once again, Shane. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. This has been the What's Your Story podcast. I'm Jake Parker. I hope you enjoyed the show and will tune in again next time. If you're so inclined, please send this episode to a family member or friend you think might enjoy it. And it would really be awesome if you could rate, review, and or subscribe to the podcast. It sure helps me out a ton. Thanks.